Good morning, everyone. Well, as we all know, Pastor King is not necessarily a, a tall man, but that's a big John on the screen right there in the middle, all right? And I'm going to tell him that, so that's good. Well, it's great to be with all of you here today. Uh, it's always a joy every summer when we rotate our church, always in loves hearing Pastor King, and it's always a, a privilege to be able to come and speak to you. Um, I, you know, every time I come, I, I say this, but I really do genuinely believe it, that, that Riverside is a light to our community, the work that you do in the inner city. Your commitment to the larger Peoria area is a blessing, it's an inspiration, not just to, uh, uh, to, to my church, but to many churches and to the glory of God. And I want to thank you for your service and work, and obviously the Dream Sitter uh, and all the work that you do there, uh, the uh, Peoria, uh, Mission Peoria coming up, our church every summer, our kids at our junior high and high school take separate mission trips. And this year, our junior high has made the decision they're not going to leave Peoria, but they're going to come and participate at Mission Peoria for our summer mission trip. And so we're really looking forward to that. Uh, well, today, I, you know, every summer when we do this rotation, what we do is we, we have the opportunity, uh, Pastor Harvard, Pastor King, and I, to sort of just share a message that we have in our hearts, something that is, is burning inside of us that we feel, feel compelled to talk about. And today, I want to talk to you about a message I've just entitled, Little Things. And the reason that this is so important to me is that I know in my life, um, I am an ambitious person, a driven person. And when I look at our society in general, I think that we are obsessed right now with ambition and this idea of bigger and more and better, uh, leaving our mark, making our splash. It's just part of who we are as a culture. Now, as individuals, I think that we're wired, that uh, everybody wants to feel like their life is significant, like they're making a difference. I think that's normal. But I think that the culture that we live in around us, it is, it is highlighted. It is, uh, it is emphasized to the place that we are sucked into this, into this vacuum, if you will, where everything about life uh, is really about ambition. What am I going to do? How can I make a difference? Uh, and I think those are good desires on one sense, but I think that we've completely uh, lost our head in some ways. For example, when we look at television, we see this celebrity culture at work that, that subtly teaches us the message that if you're recognized... Uh, if you're if you're on the stage, if you if you win the contest, then you're valuable. And the more celebrity you have, the more important you are. But if you don't have celebrity, then you're not valuable. And so you look at shows like The Voice. You look at um, you know American Idol, America's Got Talent. A lot of these programs. And there's nothing wrong with them. I think they're entertained. They're good. And it's a great to have an outlet where people can have their gifts uh, displayed. But sometimes you get caught into this and we think, well, you watch these programs and you think, well, those people are really important. I mean, look at all that applause. And, and, and it causes us sometimes to dream about what, what am I doing? How am I leaving my mark? And then we have shows that really I, I think are just crazy uh, that, that are taking place that are all about just being recognized. It's about achieving something. For example, have you seen this show, um, uh, Naked and Afraid? I think it's on Discovery Channel or Animal Planet, where they take these people and they drop them off like in the middle of the Amazon or someplace with no clothes and nothing. And they have to learn to survive with just a backpack uh, for like three or four weeks. And I was, uh, you know, the one episode I watched this, this lady was married with three kids. I'm like, what would compel you to leave your family and to go get yourself sick and to do this for three or four weeks? But inside of most of us, there's this desire to say, I, I want to achieve something. I want to do something significant. I, I want to be recognized. I want to be seen. 
And on one hand, that's not all bad, but I think that the culture we live in has really taken it to an extreme. And so, so often we take things personally. If, if we're not getting enough likes or don't have enough friends on Facebook or things don't get forwarded or someone said something, we internalize these things because very subtly we've come to believe that big things, that celebrity, that making a difference is what really matters. But when it comes to Jesus, I believe that Jesus wants us to be ambitious, especially for his kingdom. Not for our glory, but for his glory. I believe he wants us to make a difference in this world. But here's what Jesus said when he one time was asked about the kingdom of God. He's teaching about what the kingdom of God is like. And in Mark chapter 4, verse number 30, Jesus said, Again, I say to you, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable should I use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches, branches, the birds can perch in its shade. So Jesus says, you want to know what God's kingdom is like? When God looks from heaven and he looks down at this earth, God's view of the kingdom, God's desire for the kingdom is like a mustard seed. This is the analogy that Jesus gave. The smallest of all seeds, the mustard seed was a little bit, it was like almost like the you know, the head of a pin on, a, on a, the pen of a needle, it's like the, uh, the, the head of that. It's a small little seed and it's so small you could just easily misplace it or, or lose it. But it's a little bitty seed. And Jesus said it's like this small seed, the mustard seed, that's planted in the, in the ground and over time it grows to become the largest of all garden plants. It would grow to be 8, 10, 12, 14 feet high. It would branch out and birds would come and they would flock to the mustard seed plant. And Jesus says, big is okay. It's all right to, have, to be big. Jesus wants his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. But the way in which God brings about his kingdom is not by the big splash. It's not, it's not being on the top ten on SportsCenter. The, the way God says, my kingdom is going to come about, not through the big things, but it's going to start small. And over time, slow and steady, it's going to grow into something significant. And the thing that is true for the kingdom of God is true in our life. God often uses the small things, the little things, to make the great, greatest impact. Three things I want to say about this topic. The first is this. I think as Christians... We need to, first of all, place significantly more value on the little things in our lives. Instead of spending so much time dreaming about what we don't have, right, dwelling upon what we want, we need to look at what we have and make the best and the most of what we have. We have to begin to look at some of the small things and we have to begin to step into them and realize that in God's economy, these things really matter. Jesus uh, was... was uh, you know, surrounded by, by the disciples. And we know that on a couple of occasions, the disciples actually were arguing with one another about who was going to be the greatest. Why? Because they were ambitious. They wanted to leave their mark. They, they wanted to be, it wasn't just being one of the 12 was enough. They wanted to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. On one occasion, James and John, their mother comes to Jesus and she comes, oh, Jesus, Jesus, you know, you're wonderful. And hey, when you come into your kingdom, can my two boys, one be on your right and one be on your left? In other words, I want one to be your vice president and one to be the secretary of state. Because it's not just enough they're part of the 12. Can my boys be in the inner circle? What I'm saying to you is that this idea of ambition is nothing new. I think it's part of our human nature. 
We want to be recognized. We want to be seen. We want to be significant. We want to make a difference. But I think in our culture, it's been exasperated. And yet when, when the disciples came and they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, Jesus said, you know what? If you really want to be great, you've got to be a servant leader. And when this mother came to Jesus and she talks about being great, Jesus says, let me, let me show you what great is. And he comes and he brings a child and he says, look, this is the greatest in my kingdom. And he has a child, a baby, a, a child saying, this is what it means to be great, to be innocent, to be sincere, to be humble. This is what it means to be great. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 28, Jesus said, talking about worldly leaders that, that have power and authority and title, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, listen, do you want to be great? Do you want to be great? Do you want your life to matter? Jesus doesn't say that bad things are bad or big things are bad. And he doesn't say that it's wrong necessarily to want to be great or to make a difference, to be significant or to have an impact with our life. What he says is if you want that, if you aspire to that, he said you must first be what? A servant. And whoever wants to be first must learn to be last. Jesus said, I've come into this world as a son of God, not to be served, not to be waited on, but in order to serve other people. Think about even the birth of Christ. When Jesus was born, God the Father chose this plan in order to bring Jesus into this world. The very son of God, God incarnate in human flesh and blood, and he chose to allow a young teenage virgin to carry the baby Jesus. He didn't choose the royal family. He didn't choose a family of power, influence, or money. He chose a humble, poor teenage girl. And when Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem, a small insignificant town in the middle of nowhere. He was not born in the intellectual capital of the world at that time, Greece. He was not born in Rome, the political and power capital of the world at that time. He was not born in Jerusalem, the spiritual capital of the world. He was born in Bethlehem. And he was not born in a hospital. And he wasn't born with, with TV cameras and newspapers and everybody else saying, Hey, the Son of God is being born today. But he was born in humble circumstance. Think about the way that Prince William, is that right, William? William and Kate had their baby uh, six months, a year gone, I don't know when it was, but all the pomp and fanfare around this couple having a child. And yet the Son of Man came into this world in the most humble of circumstance. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, that God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise, and He has chosen the weak things to shame the strong. Because you see, in our world, it's about strength, strong. It's about wise. It's about power. It's about control. It's about, it's about uh, you know, being known or recognized. Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, those things are in slavery. As a matter of fact, in my kingdom, I often use what you don't think in order to do the greatest good. The small things matter to God. Mother Teresa one time said, we can do no big things, only small things done in love. And small things done in love over time can produce really great results if we're faithful. But we just don't always believe that. Or we don't always want to do that. We want to dream about better days or we want to look forward to what might be or what can be. But we don't want to do what we have to do today. We undervalue often and we short sell the small things. 
And we do it all the time, even as we look at other people's lives. We just make assumptions about their life. For example, I read uh, a book from one of my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, a year or two ago called Outliers. And um, in this particular book, he tells a bunch of stories. And one of the stories he told was about Bill Gates. I think you, most of you, if not all of you are aware of Bill Gates, the richest guy, I think the richest guy in the world, Microsoft. And, uh, you know, Bill, Bill Gates started Microsoft, has all this money, all this influence. But, but he told a story about Bill Gates. Bill Gates, when he was in the late 60s, early 70s, at that day, in those days, the only access you had to computers were, were through mainframe computers. And the only way you could get on a computer is if you had to have access to a mainframe and you had to be willing to buy time to get on it. And because of his parents' position, he was able to get access to the mainframe at University of Washington, and Bill would go almost obsessively and do computer programming. As a matter of fact, in a one seven-month period of time, one seven-month period of time, Bill Gates and a couple of his friends spent 1,575 hours on this mainframe doing computer programming. That comes out to seven hours per day uh, are eight hours per day, seven days per week for seven months. In 1971, when nobody was looking, Bill Gates is faithfully working. He is diligently programming, programming, just pouring himself thousands and thousands of hours pouring into computer programming. And four years later, he and his buddies get an idea. They say to themselves, listen, you know what would be really, really amazing? Someday everybody's going to want a computer. Someday everyone's going to have a computer. And not just are they going to want a computer and have a computer, they're going to need software to run that computer. Bill Gates had incredible vision, but what we don't understand is that before he ever had vision, before he ever started a company, before he ever became the richest guy in the world, he logged thousands, tens of thousands of hours programming computers in the privacy of a library with nobody else around. There was no fanfare, there was no recognition, there was no pats on the back. And my friends, God's economy, God's kingdom works the same way. Oftentimes, the Lord says, it's the small things, it's the little things that will lead to big things. It's the small things I call you to do that often will put you in a position to do something greater. I mean, think about even how our bodies work. Think about money management. If you've ever gotten debt and you take a class like FPU, they talk about snowballing debt. Start small, get some momentum, go, go, go. If you talk about saving money, is it best to wait five five years before you're ready to retire and try to save for retirement? Or is it better to start when you're 25 with just even $20 a week? Slow and steady is the way. Think about our bodies. Listen, most of us in this room that are adults over the age of 35, at some point we've realized our bodies are slipping and what do we do? Like idiots, we go to the gym and try to get it back in one week. And you go and you think, I'm going to get, oh, I'm going to get back in shape. And you go and you kill yourself for one or two weeks. And within six weeks, you're back to your old pattern. Because it's not the big bang. It's not the big burst. It's slow and it's steady is what gets the most results. And the Lord says to you and I that we need to place more value on the small things. We need to begin to look at them and we need to emphasize them. You know, I read that Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola is nine, over 99% sugar and water. It's the most popular soft drink in the world. And what differentiates Coke from most other soft drinks is less than 1%. There's a small part of their formula that gives it a taste that has allowed them to brand it to make it the most popular soft drink in the world. 
But 99% of it is just sugars and water. And my friends, the little things matter. And Jesus taught us with illustrations, with parables, and with direct teaching, small things make a difference. The second thing, though, as I think about this message of little things is this. We need to not only place more value on the little things, but we need to repent of our tendency to reject and undervalue them. Because what happens is, is that not only do we find ourselves dreaming and discontent with our life and frustrated because I got to do this and I hate doing that and I'm tired of this and, and I want something bigger and better. But, but these thoughts need to be captured and they need to be repented of. The Bible says in the book of Zechariah chapter 4, the prophet says, who dares despise the day of small things? You know who dares despise the small things? I do. When it comes to parenting, it's, it's easier to plan a vacation for my kids than it is to come home after a long day at work and I come home and I'm tired and my son says, Dad, can we go outside and play catch? And it's 90 degrees and humid and I'm tired. Is it easier to plan a vacation or to go outside with my kid day after day in the middle of summer and play catch? You see, we often despise the small things. And we think, well, I'll do something big. If I do something big, that's really what matters. But the small things really aren't that important. We, we not only don't place enough value on them, but then we get sucked into this, into this, this, this stream, this flow, to pretty soon we start devaluing them. And, and, and as, as Zacharias says, who dares despise these things? We have to repent because the reality is we do despise them. Stay-at-home moms can sometimes despise the small things, they despise, you know, I'm just tired of this. I just got to get out of here. It's tough work to be trapped into a, to a house with a child just 24-7, not getting hardly any break whatsoever. Some of us go to jobs. Some of us have neighbors. Some of us have responsibilities. Some of you even volunteer here at the church. And you're like, you know what? I just don't want to do this. And sometimes we can begin to despise. We can begin to reject the small things. And we can talk ourselves into believing the myth that they're really not that important. And why we have to repent of this is for two reasons. Number one, if we're not careful, we are going to miss opportunities. The small things often lead to bigger things. You see, being faithful in small things often open doors to something else. Jesus said, start small. The kingdom of God is small. You know what? When you put a mustard seed in the ground, if you wouldn't know any better, you'd think, oh, it's a little bitty seed, little plant. Maybe even when it's growing, you come and go, oh, it's a little plant, not a big deal. I was just in my... my uh, my home driving home the other day I was noticing some of the trees we've lived in our neighborhood in our house now for about eight years I think and I was just noticing how big a couple of the trees are you know it, you know you don't notice it day after day but over time you say wow those trees have really grown and what happens is that we we devalue the small things and we miss opportunities because we think well it's really not that important it's just a small thing you know, I, I, I read a story and I've, I've, I've heard it a couple times as if it was true. I can't document it. But a guy was at a, uh, a driving range and he was watching a professional golfer hit golf balls. And the golf pro came off the golf course 
and the guy went up and introduced himself. Hello, you know, my name is Jim, and you know, how are you doing? The golf pro said hello, and he said, hey, can you give me a little tip? Just one little tip that's going to help improve my golf game because, because, you know, I just want to get a little, just a little bit better so I can beat my buddies in the golf pro says, I'll give you one tip. Hit 500 golf balls every day. And the guy said, I don't have time for that. And the golf pro says, well, I don't have time to give tips to people who aren't willing to practice. And you see, sometimes what we do is we want an easy answer. We, we want a silver bullet. We want to know what the secret sauce is. There's something that's going to make it go easy. Something that's going to make it all come together. And what happens is that God says, no, the path, the path for me blessing your life, using your life to maximum capacity is, is are you going to be faithful in the small things? And when we're not faithful to the small things, we often put ourselves in a self-contained cage. We, we put an invisible barrier around our life that limits what God can do. Second of all, we need to repent because, because when we devalue the small things, if we're not careful, we lead ourselves into temptation. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible tells a story about King David, who was a man after God's own heart, the king of Israel. And David had an affair with a married woman. And she got pregnant. And then David and Bathsheba, they lied and they manipulated and they covered up and eventually they committed murder. They had to kill, uh, you know, construct this plan to have her husband killed so they could cover their, their tail. And so they do all this stuff. But long before David committed adultery and lied and manipulated and killed, there's one little bitty verse, chapter 11 verse number one that starts that whole story off that we often miss here's what it says in the spring of the year when the kings go off to war David stayed in Jerusalem in the spring of the year when the kings go off to war David stayed in Jerusalem in other words the whole story of David and Bathsheba starts with David being responsible to lead his troops out into a battle but it was a small battle a battle that they were easily going to win. I mean, after all, David had amassed this great army. He had great generals. And David said to himself, even though it's the spring and I'm to go off to battle and lead my troops, I'm just going to stay in Jerusalem. It's a little thing. They've got this. I'm just going to sit back home and just take a break. The problem is, the Bible says in verse number two, that David is home. And after all of his guy friends are all fighting the war, after a couple of days, David is bored and he can't sleep. And the Bible says that David is pacing on the roof of his palace because he's bored and he can't sleep. And as he's pacing, he looks down and he sees this absolutely beautiful woman taking a, taking a bath. And Bathsheba is taking a bath. And I believe, I don't, can't document this, but I believe that Bathsheba is not being as modest as she would normally be. You know why? Because all the guys in town are gone. Except David. And she's taking a private bath, not aware that anybody is watching. And David's up, bored, and all of a sudden, in the midst of his boredom, David goes, ooh, that, that's exciting. David says, hey, can you get that woman and I just want to talk to her. David didn't wake up and say, you know what, I think I'm going to train wreck my life today. I think I'm just going to see how bad I can screw things up. No, it all started with something small. 
And Jesus prayed. Part of the Lord's prayer is lead us not into temptation. And part of the reason that we are to pray lead us not into temptation is because we don't need God to lead us into temptation because we do a good enough job doing it ourselves. And one of the ways we lead ourselves into temptation is that we, we become slack in small things and we say, this really isn't that important. It's not that big of a deal. And then we say, well, I'm just going to stay home and I should be doing this. And, and that opens one door, opens another door. And then we see somebody, well, I'm just going to, you know, oh, I'm going to dwell a little bit here rather than walk away. And then, you know what? Hey, maybe I'll just talk to her. You see, one thing leads to another thing. And my friends, when it comes to our celebrity culture, when it comes to this, this, this cultural mindset of ambition and making a difference and, and making a big splash, here, here's some of the temptations we succumb to. One is the lottery mentality. I'm just going to buy a ticket and maybe I'll get lucky and make it big. My life will change. Lord forbid that I actually have to work for something or plan for something. A sense of entitlement. I deserve what you have. And it's your job to help me get it. We have a YouTube mentality. Living for things to go viral just so we can be recognized or known or we can boast about something. All of these temptations take us away from God and His kingdom. They push us further away from God rather than throwing us into the stream of God's will. Jesus said this. Jesus said... If you serve even a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. Seriously, Jesus? He didn't say if you go win tens of thousands of people to the Lord. He didn't say if you give a $100,000 check to the Dream Center. He didn't say anything about it. He said, listen, you, you want to be honored in God's kingdom? You, you know, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. And I'm going to tell you something. D David, who's the lady who works backstage back here or back there? Chris, I'm going to tell you something. Chris is earning all kinds of rewards because about every 30 minutes she goes, you need another bottle of water? You need another bottle of water? She's offered me about a dozen today. So we know Chris is going to be rewarded, all right? Small things matter to God. And we need to repent of our tendency to devalue them. Third and finally, we need to be faithful to the little, little things that God calls us to. So we need to place more value on those small things that we devalue. We need to repent when our heart gets bent out and we're not placing proper, um, we're resenting or, or despising the small things in our life. And the third thing is we must be faithful to follow through. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16, the one who is faithful over little things will be faithful over much. And the one who is dishonest over little things will be dishonest over much. Those are Jesus' words. See, we often think to ourselves, well, you know what? Once I get more, boy, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a generous person once I get more. I want to help all these people, all these causes. And you know what Jesus said? Listen, uh, if you're not going to be faithful in the small things, I'm not going to give you more. That's what that verse says. But if you prove to be faithful in the small things, I, I, I'm going to put you in a position to where you can be a better steward of more things. And it's not about who has more or who has less. Let's be very clear about this. The, the, Jesus said in the parable of talents, he said there's one talent people, there's two talent people, there's five talent people. And God says it really doesn't matter whether you're a one-talent person, a two-talent person, or a five-talent person. The only thing that matters to God is are you going to make the most of what you've been given? 
Are you actually using what God has given you, your time, your talent, and your resources? Are you giving back? Are you being faithful in those things? The parable of the steward says, listen, God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not about how much you have. It's not about how much the person next to you has compared to you. It's about how faithful you are to use what God has given to you. I believe a turning point, I don't know if it's a turning point, but I really believe that a watershed moment in my spiritual journey was a couple years after I had become a Christian. I got saved about 20, 21 years of age. And I was teaching a small Sunday school class. I had this, this strong calling into ministry. But I was teaching a small Sunday school class at a, for a, with a group of high school kids. And uh, it was a Saturday. I was in a softball tournament. It was in the middle of summer. Um, a couple of the kids in my class were going to be gone, so I knew it was going to be even an extra small class. And it's Saturday, and I hadn't prepared for my message yet, my, my lesson. And I remember thinking to myself, this really isn't that important. There's only going to be a couple of kids in class tomorrow. And then this thought popped into my mind. One day, someday, I'm going to be a pastor. And then it's really going to matter. And as that thought was going through my mind... It's not that important for me to prepare for the Sunday school class. Only a couple kids. One day I'm going to be pastor in church. That's what's really going to matter. The Lord spoke to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you. Not in an audible voice, but to my heart. And the verse that he gave me was what I just had on the screen. The one who is faithful in the little things will be faithful over much. And the one who is dishonest in the little things will be dishonest over much. And in that moment I repented and I realized the most important thing for me to do is what God has me to do today. Not dreaming about tomorrow. And I still believe that was a watershed moment in my life and my ministry because it taught me a lesson that I still stumble, I still fail at. But what God has for me today is the most important thing I can do. Not dreaming about, about bluer oceans or, 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 or wide open uh, opportunities. It's, it's being faithful today and trusting God with the future. Abraham Lincoln, uh, prior to his, his presidency, uh, was asked to go to New York City to give a speech on, at an anti-slavery conference. And so he's there with all these abolitionists and uh, they're talking about how to end slavery and they invite Abraham Lincoln to come and so he takes a train out to New York City and the night before the big conference, there's a gathering and all the speakers, all the people are going to go out to eat dinner and they're going to go meet with uh, Henry Ward Beecher who is the, the Billy Graham of that generation and they were going to meet some people and see New York City and they said, Abe, are you coming? Abraham Lincoln says, no, I, I, I need to stay home and do more preparation on my speech tomorrow. And Abraham Lincoln could have easily said to himself, you know what, let's just go see this city and I've got enough done on this and you know what, maybe I'll network and meet some people and, and all this stuff. But no, Abraham Lincoln realized his speech and this was part of his characteristic. He, he was very good at living in the moment and, and Lincoln, Lincoln gave himself that speech. The next day he got up and gave his speech. It's known as the Copper Union Address. And when Abraham Lincoln gave his Copper Union Address, the people were wowed at the content and the depth at which he spoke. And it was that event, that event, that propelled him became the catalyst for him becoming the nomination. There were people saying, wow, this guy gets it. This guy is an incredible speaker. He's so thoughtful and deep. We need to nominate this guy for the presidency. And I think to myself, what would have happened if Abraham Lincoln just would have given a... I can't say the word I want to say here. Uh, a half-hearted... <laughs> a half-hearted effort... And preparing his speech and his delivery. But Lincoln gave his best. 
And that best opened the doors for something much greater. Gandhi one time had a man come to him and he was a very successful business person. He said, Gandhi, I want to be part of your community. And Gandhi says, welcome. And he put the man in charge of latrine duty. And the man looked at Gandhi with amazement in his eyes and he said, don't you know I am a very successful businessman. I can do great things for you. And Gandhi says, I know you can do great things for me. What I do not know is if you can do small things for me. Mother Teresa one time said, you may not be able to feed a hundred, but feed just one. I don't know whether you're a one-talent person or a two-talent person or a five-talent person. But don't find your self-esteem and your value based upon what other people think about you. Don't get sucked into our celebrity culture. I hope that all of us in this room will dream and be ambitious about tomorrow. I pray that all of us will dream about making an impact for God and for His glory. But the pathway to making a difference for Jesus is being faithful today. Begin to place more value on the small things in your life. Repent when your heart gets out of whack, just like it did for the disciples and just like it does for me. And be faithful to the little things that God calls you to. You cannot do everything. Jesus said no to people. You're going to have to say no to some small things and some big things. But when you know that God's leading you to do something, give it the best that you have and leave the outcomes and the future to Him. Because the kingdom of God is a mustard seed. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when planted over time, grows into something much bigger and larger than you could ever imagine. Would you pray with me? Jeremy, Father, I pray that in our jobs, our careers, our families, our marriages, our kids, our ministries, our service at the church, our giving, our bodies, that you would help us, dear God, to place more value on the little things. That you will give us the courage to own our stuff and to repent when our hearts are, in fact, out of whack, when we are spending more time dreaming when we're neglecting what needs to be done. And I pray, dear God, that that you will help us to be faithful to those things we know that we should do. And as we are faithful, may you not just work in our lives, but through our lives to grow something bigger and more dynamic than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.